This is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open-plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 69 of something called Linux in Laws. 69, Martin. What a nice number. Is that your age? No, no, it's not. Oh. No, it's not. It's actually, um, I have a friend whose fa who's favorite sexual position that is. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> not, not, na not naming any names. No, 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 no. But this is not about a podcast about sex, but rather about politics. Oh, Martin, how's, how, how's the state oh, of things in the UK? <laughs> <laughs> Our kingdom as it is now known. Well, the markets are on meltdown, um, interest rates are rising, pounds falling. Uh, so what's new? <laughs> measures. No, no, this is a, this is a more dramatic uh, event than, than previous circumstances. So, yeah. Okay, even more dramatic. Yes, okay, yes. But how's Charlie doing these days? Oh, he's 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 happy. He's um, he did his um, job interview back in nineteen fifties or whatever it was. And it's been a while, six right? Six years later, he's finally got <laughs> exactly. a job. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, uh, in contrast to popular, we believe this is not the Royalist podcast, but rather something called Linux in Laws. And today we are happy to have the two mm. maintainers of something called the successor of CentOS with us. Unfortunately, in contrast to other interviews, we recorded this as two separate tracks for logistical reasons mostly. So without further ado, first of all, uh, Greg will speak about Rocky and followed by Igor speaking about Alma. Mm. And here we go. Greg, welcome to the show. How are things? Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, things are warm over here. My, my <laughs> pleasure. Greg, and um, before we get started, maybe some background on you, and especially if you're, say, if, if you're, if you're saying that it's really hot, where, you, where do you call in from? <laughs> well, uh, where I'm calling in from is Nevada. And um, yeah, it's it's about 100 degrees Fahrenheit out there right now. So it is definitely hot. Yes. Uh, for the people listening, I'm recording this from Göttingen, Germany, as in Lower Saxony. And it's I reckon outside is 110. It has just, <laughs> oh, it has just yeah, there has just been an electrostorm, but things are really still hot. And oh, wow. yes. In, for a change, Germany is is hotter than Nevada. Hard to believe, but apparently true. <laughs> oh, you asked me. <laughs> you, you asked me. You asked me about me as well. Um, I'm, a, I'm a biochemist by degree. Um, in the mid '90s, I got really interested in open source, and I got interested in Linux. And um, I just kind of pivoted my career because I thought that you know, open source and Linux are. Uh, it's just fun. It's it's like a big game, and it's you know a bunch of cool people that I can play this game with. And uh, so I just got absolutely enamored with that, and I've just been focusing on that ever since. 
Ex excellent, Greg. Need to say, people, this is the Biochemistry World Podcast. For, for people who are looking for the open source angle, never mind Linux, please, I'm joking. Uh, Greg, um, <laughs> this is not, no, I mean, jokes aside, this is not about biochemistry. You are spearheading something called Rock Linux for, the, for these two people on the planet who do not know what this is all about. Maybe you can <laughs> shed some, some light on the background, never mind the legacy, and why. Did you decide to start this, and then basically we can we can take it from there? Sure, sure. So um, I'll probably start talking about it kind of from the open source perspective. So absolutely, uh, Linux. Linux is an, and, and this is why I got so just absolutely enamored with with the open source community and with being part of this was, uh, and going back in time again in the mid nineties. You know, as a biochemist, we needed to solve some computational genomic problems. And the best way that we found of doing this is not to run this on big iron Unix machines, but instead to go get a whole bunch of motherboards, load them up with memory, and run this brand new thing called Linux that I thought everybody just kept mispronouncing Unix on. And, um, and then when I actually saw what we were able to do, downloading an operating system off of a 56K dial-up connection – I think it was 56k back then and and taking that operating system installing it to some hardware and then actually making a scientific tool out of this completely like it just it blew my mind and this gave me kind of the passion and the um, desire to really understand what the heck did we just do how, how how is this even possible and who is doing all this and and what's with that community and what i've learned uh, back then was this open source community of individuals, everything from developers, coders, contributors, um, you know, project, you know, people, I mean, managers, I mean, this, this very kind of wide and diverse set of, uh, of people are all contributing to this greater vision. And it was something that kind of was an underground movement, but at the time, at least, but this whole thing, everything was freely available. Uh, anybody can use it and anybody can leverage it. And again, that got me completely enamored with this. So, so uh, I started learning, you know, and I started being part of different Linux communities and, um, and really just, again, trying to learn everything I could. Uh, first, I was focused actually in Debian and I was part of the, not really, I wasn't a Debian maintainer, but I was definitely, you know, gung-ho, 100% focused on Debian. And I went, you know, after, if you're, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, um, through the dot coms, I ended up leaving that and kind of going into department of energy. Sorry for being verbose, by the way, I, I always have the money that's the okay, no worries. <laughs> enabled, um, and basically landed there and they were standardized on red hat at the time. And red hat was red hat Linux. And it was the freely available version, <coughs> excuse me, of red hat. And, um, uh, we basically, you know, so i picked up Red Hat and started leveraging Red Hat. Now, from my perspective, there was a lot of Debian parts of Red Hat that, that I thought was missing, right? You're coming from a Debian perspective, I wanted to see that community behind it. I wanted to see, you know, uh, um, well, I wanted to see apt, honestly, behind it and whatnot, which didn't exist at the time. Uh, but we basically just really started, uh, you know, looking at, you know, moving towards Red Hat because Department of Energy really wanted us to do that. So we were going in that direction. I started a project to really start kind of Debianizing uh, an RPM-based distribution of Linux, and this was called Smooth. Chaos. Smooth. 
Really? Put an APT into, into an RPM-based distribution? Wow. Wow. Okay, well, fair enough. More, more, more than just apt. I mean, apt is like the means to the end of like installing packages, upgrading packages. We didn't even have that at the time. But really what – um, what it was was that community behind it. And Red Hat okay. Linux was great. Don't get me wrong, but it's a company and we don't have the visibility from a community perspective looking into a company to really help make a lot of those decisions and, and understand why certain things are happening. I mean, it's all I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. Red Hat's done fantastic for the open source community, but there wasn't that level of open community transparency that. I really just missed out of Debian. And so I wanted to kind of recapitulate that in a matter of speaking for a, you know, for an RPM based kind of, you know, distribution of Linux. So we started chaos, chaos Linux. And, um, so, sorry, go ahead. Can I yeah. Can I interrupt? Speaking Absolutely. Of yeah. Speaking of, speaking of RPM based distributions, OpenSUSE never came to mind in terms of wasn't an option. Because so, at the time, OpenSUSE already existed, if I'm not completely mistaken. So I think you're right um, that, that SUSE was definitely – it existed. I don't know if, when OpenSUSE came out, though, but, but um, it was always kind of an, an option that was out there. But the, the architectural layout of the two distributions is so vastly different that it does require organizations to retool – a lot of how are they looking at managing configuration management and YAST, which was a really big kind of piece of it's, um, yeah, it go still ahead. is. It still is. <laughs> <laughs> so and but but it was a very different way of kind of looking at system administration and management of your Linux distribution. So uh, there was a lot of people that was really kind of already kind of tooled and set up for the Red Hat way of doing things. And so Chaos Linux actually was kind of going in that direction. We were trying to be this, you know, this community version of Red Hat. Now, shortly, a little bit later, by the way, if we fast forward just a little bit, as this was back in 2003 ish. Uh, Fedora came out. And so uh, Chaos Linux and kind of the focus of Chaos Linux and the goals of Chaos Linux were, were not quite as, as necessary because of Fedora. And Fedora's just really done a really good job at kind of uh, being that community portal, that community front end. Now, keep in mind, it is commercially run and commercially controlled, but they do have kind of a separation at this point between Red Hat and Fedora. And I can absolutely appreciate that. And I think they've done very, very good with that. So kind of the need for chaos kind of diminished over time. Time, but something that happened kind of in parallel. Yeah, uh, go sorry. for it. So sorry, just cutting in there. Um, there's probably one listener out there who doesn't know what Fedora is. <laughs> also known as the playground. You want to shed some light on what Fedora was or still is in contrast to Red Hat? Just for the, yeah. for the bigger, bigger for the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. So Fedora is kind of the um, the cutting edge of what is going to come into enterprise Linux. And they, they basically, they have a, um, a very fast paced moving uh, distribution of Linux again called Fedora. And about every six months, they, uh, um, they basically brand a, or, or, or push a new version, a new release of it. And it moves very, very quickly, but it gives access to lots of cutting edge features and kind of new technology in terms of what's coming. And so it's been tremendously awesome and useful uh, for exactly that. And, and it gives the community a fantastic place to come and be part 
of this of this operating system. And Red Hat and Red Hat Enterprise Linux, something we haven't talked about yet, but I'll get to in just a moment. Uh, we basically take snapshots out of Fedora to go and create what is Enterprise Linux. And uh, so kind of now taking a, um, a step backwards again. So we have Chaos Linux and Red Hat came out with a paid for version of, of Linux called Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Before that, again, it was just Red Hat Linux and it was freely available. Then came Red Hat Enterprise Linux uh, kind of in parallel and then a little bit later, they end of life to the freely available Linux distribution in a way that didn't give a lot of organizations, including myself at Department of Energy, a, a reasonable amount of heads up and, and the ability to kind of manage, you know, transitioning or coming up with another. I mean, it was pretty much end of life in one day. Okay. Uh, and. We basically, at, on the chaos side, we're like, well, we have a build infrastructure. We have a community of people. What, I mean, it is, you know, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, at the end of the day, is open source. What if we just, what if we just try to recapitulate what they've done with Red Hat Enterprise Linux by trying to grab the same sources, the same patches, and be as close to that as, as absolutely possible and even legally possible? Can we do that? And then take those those sources, throw it into our build system, and then actually push out a, a, a Linux distribution that's as compatible as possible. And that was the beginning of CentOS. First version of CentOS, we actually even called it Chaos EL for Enterprise Linux. Uh, and then we renamed it over to CentOS a little while later. But that was the creation of CentOS. It came because it was necessary. It came because uh, there was a pain point in the community. The, in, in a matter of speaking, the operating system supply chain was disrupted for a large number of organizations out there. And CentOS really kind of filled that gap. It, filled, it solved that pain point. And CentOS, of course, standing for Community Enterprise Operating System, if I'm not completely mistaken here. You got it. It's exactly it. And so I continued to lead um, the CentOS project uh, for about another year or two, somewhere around there, um, and at which point the CentOS project went off into uh, a different direction with an individual leading it. And uh, and over time, and, and the CentOS community, by the way, is an extraordinarily dedicated uh, group of ind individuals. But it was always a fairly small group in terms of who actually owned, you know, and I'm putting air quotes around this, the keys to the kingdom. It was always okay. a fairly small group, and there's reasons for that in terms of what, some of the problems that we had to solve for mitigating kind of security risk um, of, of having a lot of people owning those keys. So we kept that team very small, and it created a culture of CentOS that was always a fairly kind of small core team. So Red Hat at some point um, – and, and by the way, I should mention again, that team has just done a tremendous and a fantastic amount of work. And the amount of thank yous that the entire community should be giving that team is is massive because in many cases, this team was working on it. Even though it wasn't their full-time job, they had other jobs. They dedicated their weekends. They dedicated their evenings and their, their home lives and their personal lives to really keep CentOS alive and keep pushing it. So over the years, there was always a lot of people that complained that CentOS was um, you know, late on updates or, or whatever the case may be, you know, late on a major release. Keep in mind, that team drove and was holding up the entire community. So uh, at some point, uh, Red Hat offered this team money. They, they offered them a job. 
And this team joined Red Hat, and somehow from that point, Red Hat got control of CentOS. They own the assets, and, the controlling assets. Sorry, what, what, when was that? 2014, 20... I believe. 14, okay. No, excuse me, um, 2016. My bad, 2016. Detailed people may be in the show notes. You never know. <laughs> if I got that number wrong, put it in the comments. <laughs> no worries. Sorry, Greg, go ahead. So um, Red Hat ended up acquiring CentOS. And Red Hat actually then, you know, allowed these engineers and then brought on more engineers and more resources to kind of help that community grow and help that project grow. And um, so that was fantastic, right? We, we now see growth of the project. We see the project, <clears throat> what seemed to be in good hands and, and moving forward and, uh, and being a value and an asset to the community. Now, uh, there is the risk, which is now all of a sudden, you know, Red Hat is controlling a free version of one of their biggest revenue uh, projects out there, which is Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And CentOS, to be clear, was its biggest competitor. So now Red Hat kind of is controlling both of these these uh, products. And um, but you know I didn't want to jump to conclusions. Uh, you know everything seems like you know it's going in a good direction, and um, you know Red Hat's doing really good with that. And so, you know, the community for the most part was, was you know, very satisfied with, with everything that was happening. Now, fast forward again to, uh, to December 2020, was it 2021, I believe. Man, dates are going, they're, everything is a blur for me. It's been so busy. <laughs> um, and uh, after, we after, basically... after the shock, after the shock wave, probably. Uh, we may want to explain what the shockwave really was. Uh, yeah. So basically what happened was um, Red Hat ended up um, – by the way, it was December of 2020. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's embarrassing how bad don't I am. Don't worry about time. it. Don't, don't worry um, about it. Uh, they basically – they announced that they are end-of-lifing CentOS. Now, CentOS, since its inception, has been an incredibly stable – a fundamental piece of the software infrastructure that, I mean, is running all the way through enterprise. Uh, Some of the biggest numbers that I've seen uh, was that at some point it was approaching about 50% of all enterprise resources and cloud instances and whatnot. Uh, And it was so that big. Now, when they announced this end of life, it was more like 20, maybe 25% of all enterprise resources is running CentOS. But you can probably imagine how much of a shock it is to 25% or 20 to 25% of all enterprises all of a sudden having that operating system be, being notified that, well, it's end of life and not having a very seamless transition to what it is that you know is going to follow up with it, right? What Red Hat and, and what Red Hat did was they basically said CentOS as we've known it is going end of life. And what we're going to do is really focus our effort on a different project. Now, the project that they decided to focus their effort on is actually a really good project. It's called CentOS Stream. Don't be confused by the name. It actually is a subtly but you know kind of important difference in terms of that community. CentOS, as we've all kind of come to know and love and and count on, it was an extraordinarily stable mirror image, basically, of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And what CentOS Stream is, they took it from being behind 
Red Hat Enterprise Linux and put it in front of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And basically now it's kind of like, and, and what, however I call it right now is going to be challenged by someone. So I'll just kind of vaguely describe it as kind of, it's a, it's kind of like a beta. It's kind of like a rolling release. It's kind of like, um, you know, a community portal for people to actually engage with what's going to be inside of uh, enterprise Linux. And so it's kind of a lot of different things, but it is definitely no longer behind Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And a lot of organizations are like, well, we need that absolute stability for our infrastructure uh, of knowing that it's going to be as stable as possible. And now it looks like it's a little bit more cutting edge and they didn't want that. Uh, and re- certain Red Hat people also have actually come out there and actually said they kind of consider it beta. And so uh, if you put all that together, it's like most of these enterprises are like, no, we need we need CentOS back. Now, they announced that they were going to end of life CentOS on the CentOS blog. And that blog immediately just took off in, in popularity and whatnot. And as you can probably imagine, not good popularity. Uh, and if you look through that blog post, uh, and you can search for this blog post and find it pretty easily. But if you look through this, you'll see almost every single person who responded took it in a very negative light. Like it, they were not happy about it. And there was literally hundreds, many hundreds of comments here saying how unhappy people were with this um, this change, this pivot. Now, I got lucky because I saw that the blog came out pretty quickly. And I just posted that, you know, I've been thinking about doing uh, another version of CentOS and truly, you know, having it be community, community, you know, free from corporate and commercial influence and just as, as absolute community as we can and protect it from, you know, ha- having direct, you know, adverse effects from from any single company. Because we've seen this happen now a few times. I mean, Elasticsearch was a, was even more recent than than CentOS, but in, and it's probably happened about a dozen times going all the way back to MongoDB, right, where companies have pivoted this. So I wanted something that was to me, that was going to be absolutely stable. And and that was how we ended up kind of, um, I, I put that message out there. And I said, by the way, if anyone's interested in being part of this, here's the Slack that I'm on, the Slack you know team that I'm on. Within about a month and a half, we had over 10,000 people joining. And it just absolutely blew up. And um that's the creation of, of Rocky in a matter of speaking. That was like what, that was a very long answer. I know I talk a lot. That was a very long, how did we get here? Like, why did we do it? And that was really it. Okay. Um, given the fact that you are, and let me put it, let me put the, let me put it, there's another center as for what of a better description or word fork out there. Where do you see this going from a pure enterprise community perspective in terms of, okay, CentOS, as we know it, is gone. I'm explicit, so I can say that really Red Hat fucked up slash IBM. <laughs> Fair enough. As I said, we are explicit, so no worries. Lawrence, if you're listening, don't worry about pursuing us. <laughs> not happen- not going not, not to happen. Take a look at the website just in case before you send us any threatening letters. Jokes aside, people. thing is basically why is CentOS so important? CentOS. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, you go. You continue your thought, please. Um, um, CentOS is is probably 
apart from Debian, the most the, the white the most widely used enterprise distribution in the non-paid fashion in terms of companies just taking the source code in terms of a package distribution and using it, deploying it in the enterprise environment because they don't worry about Red Hat. Similar to Debian, they have in-house teams that have the knowledge that have everything else to make this happen. Because if they don't, they just put money on the table and go the Red Hat way, which is, Red Hat, if you're listening, totally fine, because this is how you got to where you are at the moment, essentially. Never mind IBM gobbling you up for a couple of billions. Don't worry about it. Jokes aside, the thing is, if you have that expertise in-house anyway, essentially, without, in contrast to open to outsourcing it, like buying a Red Hat subscription, you, do, you, go do, you go down your own route. Debian, CentOS, doesn't matter. The thing is, if somebody dries up your source ecosystem in terms of the original repos, imagine Debian closing shop. Then you are up, then you are up a dollar straight, and that's exactly what happened with with CentOS upstream and the repos being gone afterwards. And that's the and, and and that's essentially the reason why maintaining these enterprise distributions is so very important for the people who don't want to pay Red Hat a subscription fee because they have got the expertise in house already and don't worry about putting money on the table for paid, for, for paid subscription. And this is to say, this is my communist radical point of view, but I know quite a few companies who have switched from CentOS to Debian because they didn't want to bother with that. Yeah, that's a negative as well. At least, excuse me, it's not a negative that no, they switched no, to Debian. Debian's just go awesome. ahead, Greg. But, <laughs> but this is a negative because we have, we have a lot of organizations that are uh, tooled for this kind of Red Hat or Enterprise Linux ecosystem. This announcement and how this came to light undermined a lot of people's confidence in this Enterprise Linux ecosystem. And we did. We saw a lot of organizations that are like, you know what, um, um, this, is, this is too crazy for me. There's changes. You know what, Debian has been stable for literally like, 28 years or something. I mean, it's been stable for a long time. You know, let's actually just, you know, we're going to move to Debian. That actually is not a good thing, whether you're Red Hat, whether you're Rocky, whether you're uh, Amazon, whether you're Oracle, or you, you name it, Alma, you name it, right? It's not a good thing for the enterprise Linux community. And it's, it's also an interesting factor how if you look at uh, most of the enterprises, almost every enterprise organization that I've spoken to, almost every one. I mean, so we were actually going to say this is like 99.99% of every organization I spoke to run Red Hat Enterprise Linux and CentOS in the same way, which is they run CentOS across the almost the, all of their resources except for the few systems that they consider mission critical – and then they run Red Hat Enterprise Linux on those few systems. Now, this is a benefit to Red Hat from the perspective of if they ever need to expand that Red Hat Enterprise Linux uh, footprint within the organization, it is 100% completely compatible because CentOS is 100% completely compatible with, with Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So for them to take away that CentOS and then have people go and move to Debian or Ubuntu, which again – Great distributions. I didn't mean to talk, say anything that it's a negative. It's a great distribution. 
it's now though it's it's taking away from the enterprise linux community and and to use marketing terms that market share and so it's not a good thing from the enterprise linux perspective and for the organizations have to now retool for that so what rocky brings to the table is that transition and that migration path for organizations that are currently on centos and just don't want to do any heavy lifting, don't want to change anything, and want to guarantee that that confidence is there such that they are not going to have to worry about what happened with CentOS happening again with Rocky Linux. We've put in a number of checks and balances and safeguards such that that can't happen. Now, we may have something completely else go wrong that we're not anticipating, but at least we learned from our mistakes in the past. That one's not going to happen again. <laughs> Absolutely, Greg. Can I be a little bit less diplomatic? <laughs> If you don't mind. Do you consider Alma to be competition, Alma Linux, which is, of course, the second CentOS fork? So competition, that's an interesting one because um, I, I think it is a really good thing for the community, uh, especially after we just saw something so drastic happen to have alternatives. To have multiple choices. Okay, excellent. So that's how I would. That's how I look at it. And okay. I, so I think it's a really good thing that Alma Linux exists with Rocky Linux because now people have choice. And if, in the worst case scenario, something happens to one of these, well, we still have a very easy transition period, transition to go from one to the other. And that's exactly what the community needs right now to to absolutely have confidence in the stability of enterprise Linux in a nutshell. Greg, I couldn't agree more. On the other side, you now have two, for want of a better word, competing enterprise Linux distributions, which are a fork of CentOS. Thing is, yeah. and full disclosure, I've been working in the enterprise Linux space for the last 20 plus years. Something that enterprises do not like is fragmentation of the ecosystem. So... The beauty about CentOS and Red Hat, of course, and these companies, as I said, who do not have that sort of in-house level of expertise normally would go for a Red Hat subscription package. The thing is that that would buy them some sort of insurance policy in terms of you have a commercial backing, which is fine. But the thing is that Red Hat, I wouldn't say controls, but guides the roadmap with Alma and Rocky having some sort of competition in that space, you see, and as I said, I'm playing devil's, devil's advocate now. This is what I would perceive from an enterprise perspective as a fragmentation of the ecosystem. I do not know which distro will pan out at the end of the day. So I should put my money on it in terms of just going down that route of building an in-house center of excellence for, for what of better expression to make sure that I bet on the right distro. So And I'm really pushing boundaries here. Are there any talks going on with regards to consolidation of these two distros? So the first thing that I'm going to mention, though, is I'm going to challenge you a little bit because um, I would actually argue that it is not a huge investment to pick one versus the other because at the end of the day, everything within the enterprise Linux community should be, if we're all doing our job right, 100% compatible with each other. And, and just to go on a quick tangent, I know with me, a quick tangent's ridiculous because I never go on a quick tangent. It's always just a tangent. Just, Greg, but, go ahead. <laughs> but if you look at, 
if you look at you go in the past, so ages ago, ages ago, um, 99, 2000, um, the Linux standard base was just coming up. Uh, I'm lucky enough to I actually work tangentially through that through another company that I was at at the time called Linux Care. And we were contributing quite a bit into the Linux standard base at the time. The Linux standard base existed because every single implementation of Linux was so vastly different. We needed to come up with some third party standards such that the application vendors were not pulling their hair out trying to figure out how are we going to make something that's going to work in a general purpose way? So they started to impose some standards on Linux distributions such that you have a little bit of confidence that if you build an application, you know, in a, in a LSB capable way, that it's going to run on LSB, uh, you know, validated or certified Linux distributions. Well, the reason why that's so important is because those standards are actually really critical for application developers, for ISVs, for IHVs, and for for users of these systems. So one of the decisions that we made very early on was, do we want to fork Enterprise Linux? And believe me, that was a conversation that came up. We had 10,000 people join this community. We definitely had enough people that we could have easily uh, forked, but we decided not to. And we decided not to uh, because specifically, we did not want to bisect this community. And you brought this up and it's, okay. it's a fantastic point, which is we don't want to do that by chain. So what we have now is we have this enterprise Linux standard. And no matter what operating system you choose within this enterprise Linux standard, you have absolute confidence, again, assuming we're all doing our jobs right, but you have absolute confidence that you can go from one to the other with almost, almost zero amount of effort. There's a little bit because you got to change a few things, but it's not much. It's super easy to go from Alma to Rocky or to Rel or vice versa. That's that stability in the community that we were really pushing for and we did not want to break. So we actually really spent a lot of effort to make sure that we actually are building and doing everything in a completely compatible way. But then I think your next question or your mind may end up going or some of the some of the listeners is well, then why should I pick one versus the other? What is the difference if the end result is just compatibility with everything else? Like what actually then is different? Why is there two, two different uh, groups doing this? And why is that important? Well, I can tell you from the Rocky perspective, how we approached this problem and how we approached kind of what we, where we just kind of been, what we just went through is so important to help with that stability and help with the confidence of the community. So from day one, we have never released any binary in the operating system that was not reproducible, right? Every single piece of our tool chain, our entire stack, even the people doing the development is community. It is open source. It is freely available. There is no black boxes in anything that we've done in Rocky Linux. As a matter of fact, we actually even have our own, as an example, we even have our own secure boot shim, which is actually kind of a critical piece of this entire package. So Rocky Linux has a secure boot shim, which was obtained on behalf of the Rocky Linux community. That's a really big milestone. And for the less technically inclined listeners, we should probably explain what a shim is. 
Essentially, if yeah. we, if you have a modern BIOS like UEFI BIOS, it requires a certain kernel all the rest of it. The shim essentially takes care of playing that middleman that allows you to boot something else like Windows sometimes to, to say. <laughs> uh, jokes aside, no, um, the, the way it works essentially, uh, you provide a shim that takes care of interfacing with this UEFI BIOS, BIOS that essentially takes care of booting up a, a server, PC, whatever you, want to, whatever you want to run, but makes sure it, that, that it does so in a guarded fashion and it adheres to standards. Canonical has a, has a shim, so does Red and all the rest of it, just making sure that they, that they integrate from a security perspective with TPM, links within the show notes, UEFI and all the rest of it. I hope I got that right. Yeah, yeah. It, in, in a very simplistic, more simple even than that is if, if somebody wants to hack the system and you've got secure boot enabled, they can never hack your bootloader. They can never it, hack your kernel. That's, yes, that's exactly and it. Because the, the hardware won't run it. It won't boot it if it hasn't been signed appropriately. Yes. <laughs> and Microsoft kind of controls that um, top level uh, signature, right? So everything, that, those top level keys all kind of come down through a process that Microsoft controls. And it is a fairly detailed and long process to get that, um, get, get a secure boot shim that has been signed appropriately such that it can run on pretty much any hardware out there. And, and we have that validation that that hardware is actually, excuse me, that that software stack is actually going to be able to run as it was intended on that hardware. So uh, we actually have our own secure boot shim as an, as an example. Um, all of the build infrastructure, again, since day one has been open source and we've not only documented it, we've, we've posted our changes and posted our configs as much as we possibly can without uh, compromising our security. So, for example, we're not going to post our private keys. <laughs> Somebody here, Fair if you want to re <laughs> recapitulate what we're doing, you got to make your own private keys uh, and got to get your own secure boot. Uh, but that's been kind of our goal since day one. Oh, and of course, that the community needs to run this. It's not coming from a single company. So there's CIQ, and I can talk a little bit about kind of the role of my company with uh, with Rocky and the RESF, but we don't control this. We don't own that. As a matter of fact, the community actually controls this. As we even have uh, 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 bylaws within our board such that no single company can ever get a controlling stake. So we actually absolutely are community, and we've also put in a series of checks and balances such that even if a single individual, a rogue individual, tried to take the project, even if an entire team tried to take the project and, and move it or pivot it or do something because of the checks and balances. And because we have so many different teams that are interdependent on each other to everything from make decisions, as well as just roll out the whole operating system, it creates this level of um, transparency within the group and um, management, which means we literally cannot break the operating system um, and and do something or pivot it in such a way of what we saw with CentOS. So that was one of the major problems that we set out to solve. Now, another major problem that we set out to solve is the build infrastructure. We wanted to make it easy. So it was always reproducible since day one, but we wanted to make it super easy for people to be able to uh, reproduce everything that we've done and do it in a way that's absolutely scalable. So 
we actually started development shortly after the first release uh, on a new build system. Uh, we, we call that build system Peridot. And Peridot is a completely open source microservice cloud native build system, which means you can take it, take a Helm chart, throw that into Kubernetes, and you now have a rocky build infrastructure. And you can scale it up, you can scale it down, you can run it on your laptop if you've got enough memory, and you can build and rebuild the entire operating system. But even more than that, you as a user of this could actually go download this and then extend the operating system, make changes to the operating system to suit the needs of the organization. And then lastly, with all of this being open source, with all of this being completely available, we're really investing in the long-term success and strategy of this project to ensure, again, that this is going to be available for decades to come. And that's kind of how we put this whole thing together for Rocky. Um, before I forget, uh, Kubernetes, Hemchars, and all the rest of this container voodoo are parts of a previous episode the details will be in the show notes people thing is basically i think you have a hard stop in about nine minutes if i'm not completely mistaken greg why don't you give us two thoughts maybe sentences <laughs> i reckon thoughts probably won't or won't boil down to sentences but maybe five in that case where do you where do you see rocky going especially in the in the community uh, from a community perspective Uh, with regards to one of the leading enterprise distributions after the demise of CentOS. So where do I think Rocky's going? So interesting. So we're spending a lot of effort on special interest groups and coming up with ways that the community can take a more active role. And I'm talking about the very wide breadth when I talk about community. Um, can take part in enhancing and optimizing Uh, Rocky Linux. Now, again, first and foremost goal is binary bug-for-bug uh, bug level compatibility with enterprise Linux as an entire standard, as that community. We want to have that absolute bug-for-bug uh, bug compatibility and as much as we can, bit-for-bit bit level of compatibility. But we also want to help enable special interest groups to add optional value, uh, optional um, uh, value adds into the operating system. So for example, the community wants to do, you know, wants to add certain packages. The HPC community wants to add certain packages. The hyperscalers want to add or change certain packages and versions. Uh, the desktop community wants to make sure that we're bringing in, you know, um, you know, as much as we can for desktop support, laptop support and whatnot. Right. So that may be a different kernel uh, and so on and so forth. But these are all... Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Don't don't forget quantum computing and Google, just in case. Yes, <laughs> yes. and actually, Google actually has had a a very interesting um, uh, involvement with Rocky Linux. There's a few press releases out there. Um, in the interest of time, I'll just summarize really quick. Um, Google is actually supporting Rocky Linux as a first party offering, as a, like an internal offering. Uh, so if you're a Google customer, you can get direct support for Rocky Linux directly from Google. And they also now have a uh, a Rocky Linux optimized for Google Cloud version of it that's up in the uh, in GCP or GCE. And you can basically get better performance, better support and whatnot using that version. So Google's been fantastic in this community. 
Um, but but these special interests. Sorry, yeah, sorry, people, go ahead. Uh, sorry, people, you heard it first. Greg just announced his retirement. Right here. Rather than links in loss, just this, uh, just this interview. Greg is, Greg is now officially retiring. I'm joking. <laughs> Even if I retired, I would not stop working. I, I love what I do. <laughs> this is so much fun. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm joking. I mean, Google has a lot of cash to float, so that's the reason why I'm even mentioning this. But, but the word, go ahead. <laughs> so these special interests and things that we can optionally include. So somebody can say, you know, I want to go opt in to HPC. I want to go opt in to VFX or or hyperscalers or the new kernel, right? The mainline kernel or whatever they want to opt into, and then they can. Uh, optionally have these enhancements on top of Rocky Linux. And again, because this enterprise is 100% um, compatible with each other, we can absolutely, I mean, that, those same SIGs are going to be valid on top of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, on top of Alma, on top of everything. So we're spending a lot of um, a, a lot of emphasis on that. And Peridot will uh, really help enable all of that. And again, that was one of our primary motivations for what it is that we're doing with Peridot and, um, and whatnot. So uh, Peridot, uh, SIGs, um, we're always increasing our sponsors and the number of communities and organizations that are taking part with Rocky Linux. So you're going to see more sponsors coming. Right now, if you look, you're going to see a lot of clouds. You're going to see some software. You're going to see more hardware sponsors coming um, here as well. And we are doing more in terms of optimizing our leadership uh, and, and decision-making process within the Rocky Enterprise Software Foundation. So these are all the things that you're going to see coming up here uh, in the near to short term. Correct. That has been more than interesting. Mr. Kurtz, thank you very much for, for, for taking the time. I really like this, especially the controversial bits. And I hope, uh, or sorry, because Martin couldn't make it tonight, and we do hope to see you, to have you on the uh, on the show in the near future once again. Thank you. Anytime, anytime. Call me up, and, and yes. this was a fun. This was a fun call. Great. I'm looking forward to being able to meet yes. Martin as well. Perfect, and great luck with Rocket Linux. So that was the first part, Martin. So, what do you make mm. of it so far? Ah, it's, it was about time that not about time that it's uh, someone um, took up this mantle, uh, which is clearly badly needed. Um, and yeah, so this is the first one. Uh, Greg, obviously, being one who did a lot for the original CentOS project, so very much a very, so. Very good place to pick up a new version. So new version. yes, yeah. indeed. So let's hear what mm. Igor has to say, or Igor, Igor, right? Igor right? yes, yes. Igor. about Alma. Igor Seletsky, I hope I'm not butchering your name. I hope I pronounce this right. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here. Excellent, Igor, because I reckon not everybody, including these two people who do not know what, what CentOS is, maybe you can introduce <laughs> yourself a little bit and how you arrived at 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 Linux, especially um, from a kind of CentOS perspective? Sure. So I started with commercial software development uh, back in 97, and uh, Red Hat was a number one distribution back then, but it was Red Hat. It wasn't Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So at some point, uh, Red Hat decided that, uh, well, there is no more free and paid the same distribution. We're going to do Fedora and we're going to do Red Hat Linux. 
and they started to do CentOS. And naturally, we switched to CentOS, and through the years, I've been always dependent on CentOS for pretty much everything I've done. It was my favorite distro for quite some time. I did some stints with Gentoo, I did some stints with Ubuntu, Debian, Mandriva, but uh, I would always come back to Red Hat, I would always come back to CentOS. So when they announced uh, that they are... Um, no longer going to well they when they announced when Red Hat announced that they're gonna buy CentOS I was uh, somewhat scared but uh, nothing happened for a few years but then when they uh, announced that hey we're gonna terminate the CentOS as we know it uh, it created a lot of concerns um, and at that time, I was, uh, I'm still, but I was running Cloud Linux, which is another fork of Red Hat, but it's not one-to-one fork. It's a fork with a bunch of modifications specifically for service providers. So, uh, and service providers are using CentOS a lot. And so I kind of, from the business perspective, I wanted to CentOS to continue to exist. I wanted to service providers to continue using CentOS. I wanted, I didn't want them to switch to Ubuntu. It would create a whole number of problems for me. So it was a concern. It was a big concern. Uh, some of the other vendors in the service provider industry were also very concerned. So that's where I was back in December 2020 when Red Hat announced that they are going to make changes to CentOS. And by the way, I think the changes that they are doing, they are great per se. I think the idea that CentOS is now upstream distribution for Red Hat Enterprise Linux is a good thing. It, it removes the duality of what CentOS is. Is it Red Hat? Is it not Red Hat? Is it compatible, not compatible? What form, how stable it is? It's all now clear and obvious to everyone. So from that perspective, I think it's terrific. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, moving upstream, uh, trying out new features, etc. Uh, however, you could also argue that um, uh, being an enterprise <laughs> uh, Linux distribution, um, many organizations use it as a way to run the developer workloads or the non-critical workloads. Well, they used to, right? Um, rather than uh, paying for it and licenses, they used to use CentOS for these kind of um applications or development uh, environments. So so that's kind of been taken away from that with the, the, the stream development, if that makes sense. Yes, I believe so. I think this unpredictability of just how stable CentOS stream is and what to expect is a big challenge for uh, end users of CentOS, but it's also even a bigger challenge for vendors because vendors kind of have to certify their software, they have to make sure it works, and they don't want to deal with the underlying OS. That's why Red Hat and CentOS were so good, because it's an extremely stable uh, distribution. That's what vendors expect. So the not-so-stable nature, even though it's still stable, but not-so-stable uh, nature of CentOS stream is what making many vendors uh, not really interested in supporting CentOS stream. Uh, and that's why uh, Alma appeared, that's why Rocky appeared, um, so that 
there is a still stable uh, version of uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, but without associated cost. So how do you see yourself in the succession or whatever you want to call it in comparison, whatever, to Fedora? I mean, Fedora is essentially the, well, this is my opinion, of course. Uh, this is how I came uh, to to install and love and use Fedora, actually, because Fedora is essentially what I consider to, to, to be the playground or used to be the playground of something called Rail, nevermind CentOS, way, way back then. So mm-hmm. you play with Fedora, you, this is where the innovation happens. You then eliminate bugs, you make the software a little more mature, then you package it, and then RHEL sells it as the enterprise subscription-based Linux distribution. <clears throat> CentOS, of course, took these packages, uh, took snapshots and packaged them, and that was essentially the community enterprise operating system, as in CentOS. And how does Alma feature in that kind of Fedora comparison uh, ecosystem, whatever you want to call it. So if you look at the way it works today, we have Fedora, then CentOS Stream, then Red Hat Enterprise Linux, then Alma Linux. So uh, I believe initially when Red Hat started Fedora, that's how they saw it, that it will be a playground that will get stabilized and became Red Hat Enterprise Linux. The reality was much different because um, there would be like two versions of Fedora uh, between uh, the release on which Red Hat Enterprise Linux would be based and uh, uh, the Fedora itself. So it took them a, a version that is a year old that they would stabilize. And even when they stabilize, what happens next? So Red Hat has this minor releases like 8.3, 8.4, 8.5. How do you test them? How do you deal with them upstream first. And that's part of the equation. That's where CentOS stream plays. So new stuff goes into CentOS stream, but it's not really that new. It's still based on the same ABI. It's still the same compatibility requirements. It's not a major deviations like it is with each Fedora version. So as a result, you have this stable uh, stream of changes that People can see, uh, people can use, people can try. And I think it's targeted mostly to uh, become uh, companies like uh, companies that later on will take Red Hat and use it, but they can see what's coming in in the pipeline ahead of time and give feedback to Red Hat. Maybe it also helps uh, companies like Facebook. From what I remember, Facebook is using uh, was using CentOS and plan to use uh, CentOS stream going forward, where they will not use Red Hat, but they can contribute a lot, and having the stream where they contribute is a great thing. Uh, Alma Linux, on the other hand, is on the other side of the barrier. So if everything before Red Hat is unstable, Red Hat is stable, Alma Linux is also stable because it goes right after Red Hat. So Red Hat releases uh, what they did, uh, we debrand it and we release it as Alma Linux. Application right. binary interface, of course, meaning the interface that the kernel uses to to accept system calls. Never mind the applications invoking Libc and friends. I hope yes. that is the yeah. Yeah, so there is kernel ABI, but there is also shared libraries, ABIs. So systemd would have the, its own 
API, ABI, call it whatever you want. But uh, when you think from the standpoint of vendors, they need to make sure that there is no breaking changes. And that's why Red Hat is so good because it makes sure that within the major versions, there is either none or very minor uh, changes to all the different interfaces through which uh, third-party software will be working with the OS. And that's why migrating, from example, from 6 to 7 or from 7 to 8 is such a hassle because you need completely, like you need to recompile your software. Quite often you actually have to change your software to adjust for new interfaces so it can correctly communicates file paths for configuration files can change a lot of things can change between versions and that's uh, what red hat delivers so originally they would have a major version every five years now it's every eight years but the beauty of it was that you can rely on it for 10 years and then additional three years due to extended life cycle support and that's very important for vendors it's very important for enterprises where the life cycle of software is often a decade or more. Absolutely, because this is what enterprises are looking for. Changing tack a little bit, how did you arrive at the, na- at the name of Alma Linux? We had lots industry? of different names, uh, and uh, I don't even remember now who came up with Alma, but at that time, well, I still, uh, I was learning Spanish, and I knew that Alma means soul, so... The combination really stand out to me because that's what we wanted to be. We wanted to be the soul of this enterprise Linux community. We wanted uh, to be the base OS around which people will do more forks, more spins-offs, etc. Like something that people will be based on. Very, very interesting. And given the fact that there's also Rocky Linux, which is another successor of CentOS, how do you compare yourself to Greg's distro? I think Greg and his team did amazing job. So in the beginning, we were worried if they can't pull it off. Today, there is no worry. I think they're doing really, really good on technological st- from the technological standpoint. We have only single, I would say, uh, difference in opinion. Otherwise, I would be all for uh, joining uh, uh, the forces. So today, if you look at Alma, it is owned by community. So we have a proper 501c6 nonprofit organization. It owns all the copyrights. It owns all the trademarks. There is a board of directors that... um, it's completely independent. Uh, different companies, different people from different walks of life. We're going to do election pretty soon on that as well. Uh, while Rocky Linux belongs to Greg. It belongs to him and no one but him. So while there is a lot of safeguards uh, that uh, Rocky and Greg did to make sure that uh, nothing happens with Rocky, the reality is it still all depends on how good uh, Greg is to the community. And uh, I have no reasons to believe he will ever do anything bad to community or anything like that. Uh, But it was still, and it is still a concern to me uh, from the standpoint. I want, uh, at least I want Alma not to belong to anyone. I want it to belong to community. So no... 
so, sorry, Martin. No, no joining of forces anytime soon in that case. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe Greg will change his mind and decide that yeah, it's okay. That <laughs> I see. It's owned by the by community. Martin, you go ahead. Yeah, when you, when, <clears throat> when you say owned by Greg, um, so, so I mean you're a five hundred one C six. I think you mentioned uh, we yes. uh, <laughs> we we did an episode on the five hundred one uh, some time ago, I believe. But um, so, so what you're saying is the uh, the, the Rocket Linux is completely different, organized. It, it doesn't have a non for profit organization behind it, or, or as a project, it's not organized it, that it way. It doesn't have a non profit organization. It is owned by a single person. That's right. the problem. Uh, like it's not even that it doesn't have a non-profit organization. It's just that the ownership of the organization of copyright of uh, trademarks it all belongs to a single person. Got it. Got it. I mean, uh, you're clearly you need um, to rely on volunteers, or, or um, and I believe you also have some sponsorship from from Cloud Linux. How does that work? Do they contribute as well to to Alma, or is it the community yes. quite diverse? Right. So everything. I mean, yes, Cloud Linux is one of the sponsors. But by now we have, it's on our page, but it's about 20, 25 different sponsors. We have AMD, for example, is a sponsor. Nice. Equinix is a sponsor. Uh, we have uh, five, six different hosting companies. Orcarina is a sponsor. Pro Computers of the sponsor. Uh, so we have this lots of different organizations who volunteer with money, time, development resources, contributions. Uh, but beyond just volunteering and donating it, uh, they automatically get a stake in it as well. So everyone gets a vote, uh, not just sponsors, well, not just a company sponsors, we also have mirror sponsors. So anyone who mm-hmm. gets, uh, who sets up a mirror for Alma Linux gets a vote. Anyone who contributes to Alma Linux gets a vote. So uh, the nonprofit is uh, uh, controlled by board of directors. Right now it's four people. It will be seven after the election. The um, nominees for the director positions are selected by members, and members are anyone who contributes, companies, people, anyone. And votes will be done once again by anyone. So by that, what we're trying to do, we want to preserve uh, the function of Alma Linux as an organization that serves the community as the community sees it, not as I see it, not as someone else sees it, not as someone who pays most money, but as a community as a whole. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think you mentioned earlier you've got an election coming up. Uh, how many of members are we looking at here? Is this you know, a few hundred or thousands? Or <laughs> how many? We're not at yeah. thousands yet. We're, okay, okay. I believe, at about 300 members right now. Okay, oh, that's yeah, sufficient. So, so the purpose of the election uh, that you mentioned coming up is is to uh, choose the board of the. Yes, is that correct? Right. Yeah. So initial board, like when we started the organization, we needed a board. Like you cannot start mm-hmm. nonprofit without having a formal board. So we we basically invited uh, a few people. So it was. Uh, me, Cloud Linux, it was also WebPros, the service provider company. We invited a few people we know. We, uh, we asked Simon Phipps from Open uh, uh, Source uh, Initiative uh, to help us out. So we got this bunch of people to start 
as board of director, initial board of director for Alma Linux to give it direction. But it wasn't elected board of directors. So our goal or the goal for that board from day one was to make sure that we will reach the point where we have enough um, members that we can actually run the proper election and get people uh, to... Uh, elect representatives that they want and yeah and that's the idea it's it is like after this election we can properly say yes our board is selected by the community it's not someone who was put in there for because because it was the highest bidder or because of some vested interests mm-hmm. do you have any um sort of safeguards in there to prevent the majority of of members to become from one organization or something like that? Yes, that was one of the reasons I asked Sam okay. to join nice. us and to guide us because, uh, yeah. to be honest, I was always in the commercial world. I didn't know how to right. run nonprofits. Okay. It's more difficult to run a nonprofit than it is to run a company. Uh, so that's why I wanted to have a good advice and we listened. Uh, so we do have a lot of safeguards. We have directors that can be selected only by community and cannot be selected by sponsoring members. We made different yeah. membership classes to make sure that uh, even if we have a, like no single sponsor can select a, a director. There is a bunch of those things where we're trying to balance uh, where people who contribute money have some say, but on the other hand, they cannot uh shut down the community the people who don't pay money the people who just volunteer the people who just contribute without actually putting in money in the organization we also make sure that uh it's not possible for a sponsor to have multiple directors on the board that's another thing that we're trying to make sure uh so for example when we started we had three people from cloud Linux on the board, but we actually got rid of any presence of cloud Linux uh, representative on the board. So even in this election, we specifically, just to show the independence of the board, not nominating anyone from cloud Linux. How are you not nominating any at all? <laughs> okay, that's, that's uh, it's, it's um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a great uh, follower of the Postgres project and they have a similar, um, construct where no single organization can have a majority of, of the um of the, the steering committee for, for postgres so, um you mentioned uh you wanted to give the sponsors some say is is that kind of uh, a say around the direction or organization or, or you know what is it that they can influence let's put it that way um they, they have more votes so if your typical person gets one vote uh sponsor gets five vote or depending depending on sponsorship level he, uh, the sponsor can get five votes 20 votes or 50 votes so if they contribute a hundred thousand dollars they can get up to 50 votes uh, so it does allow them to have some say in the uh, matter of selecting the board, uh, yeah. but uh, that's pretty much it. Okay, okay, no, that sounds pretty reasonable. Um, 
Is this the so this is the first election because you started in twenty twenty one, right? Right, right. Okay, yes. so quite quite exciting. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been eighteen months. It it is very difficult to do it first time around. I think next second time around, once we know what we're doing, it will be much easier and much better. But right now we're very thankful. Like once again, I want to say thank you to Simon for guiding me. I want to say Benny, she's our uh a chair of the board of directors and uh, we have a representative from Red Hat who is actually helping us he's so uh, Stephen Smudgen I hope I'm not butchering his name <laughs> but he's actually from Red Hat uh, he volunteered to be on the election committee to oversee to make sure that um, we're not doing something improper and I kind of really like it that we are having a lot of people from uh, coming from Red Hat and they're coming as individuals. They're not coming as Red Hat, but they're coming with huge love of open source, with huge understandings of the need of open source and with all the baggage of knowledge that they gathered in Red Hat to help us out. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm very thankful to everything they're doing, the suggestions that they have, and uh, it's it helps a lot which is an interesting perspective um, if i might say so because i don't know if you've been following uh what happened to what is now a line of business at ibm called or formerly known as redland let's put it this way there have been quite some what's what i'm looking for in a diplomatic way upheavals for want of a better expression uh, many people left in the aftermath of the acquisition, not too sure if that many of the original people in the true open source spirit, I mind you, are, not, are still around. So it's, it's very interesting what you have to say on this, because from an outside perspective, and this is very important, I can only follow Red Hat from, from what I read in the press and, and all the rest of it. From the outside perspective, IBM has really gotten a corporate hold on what used to be Red Hat, including all the ins and outs of a corporate, I'm almost tempted to say we are explicit, so I'm allowed to say this, stranglehold on the former LOB that they acquired some years back for quite a significant amount of money. So it's good to hear that still some people being employed by IBM re retain that, that original floss spirit. Any comments on this? Yeah, you know what? I actually seen the other side of it. Maybe I'm lucky, but we do see that a lot of people with, uh, like a lot of people are still there. We don't see a lot of fluidity yet in Red Hat. We see people staying, people changing roles, but staying with Red Hat. We still hear from them that the organization is great, is great, the spirit is great, that everyone understands the value of open source and uh, from my understanding Red Hat is nowhere near of changing their stance of uh, uh, being an open source maverick being the most dominant and most important company in open source community I don't think that's have changed Well, that's a very interesting perspective because, as I said, if, if I take a look at the press and what has been published 
about the former LOB known as Red Hat inside IBM, it doesn't look great, especially the redundancies a couple of years back. I'm thinking 2021, 2020, that sort of thing didn't look great from the outside. So it's good to hear that still quite a few people, never mind the leadership change in IBM as well as what used to be known as Red Hat, are still at the helm and maintain an open source stance. Because when I look from the outside at this sort of thing, I have a different perspective. But it's good to hear that you still have active contributions from that community within IBM. Uh, we definitely see contribution. We definitely see the same. And I would be open to saying the same uh, spirit of... Uh, playing well with the community from Red Hat and being completely open source. Uh, I mean, they do have a business. I, I totally understand and they need to protect their business. And I understand that their move on CentOS was partially to protect and enhance their business. But I think there is more to that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm bullish right now on Red Hat. I think... Uh, uh, I do like their current CEO. I think it's uh, that person understands open source better than I will ever do. And I think that person is into open source much more than a uh, majority of people. So I, I feel secure today about the future of Red Hat as an open source vendor. And, and let's remember, they are still able to grow in this open source world. So I think as long as they continue their strong growth, uh, they'll be fine. So, uh, I mean, just, just listening to uh, uh, yourself tonight, um, uh, it's, uh, you're not, you don't come across as someone who's been in open source all his life, right? If I, if I get that correct. But I was you've... somewhere on the outskirts of open source. Yeah. So everything yeah. I would do would use open source, would be based on open source. But uh, uh, I rarely had an opportunity to actually contribute a lot to open source, mostly because of the size of my companies. Fair enough. So, so uh, I mean, has it made a big difference to your own um, future, let's, let's say, uh, or how you um, go about, uh, you, you know, being dedicated to one project is clearly, uh, for some people, lifetime investment, right? They they really believe in it and they, they're they going to uh, you know, stay with it for uh, <laughs> for a long time in, in, in some cases. In some cases, some people um, stop early. Is, is that something that you um, aspire to do as well with Alma? Uh, yeah, I think it's just uh, a period in my time where I feel like I'm in a position to give back and I have a strong desire to give back. And uh, Alma is just one of the venues where I started to give back uh, that I really like. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting because uh, like my trajectory, I came when I was 16 from a Soviet Union that was falling apart and it was just starting to become a capitalist country, market economy, let's say market economy. Yeah, yeah. And it was extremely poor. So when I came, this making money and the golden opportunity in the US was extremely important for me. And without language, without skills, without understanding, uh, I worked hard, but it was a 
slow climb to being uh, financially independent, to being the, in a good enough position. Uh, then there was kids, then there was multiple of those things. But uh, somehow in the past few years, my kids are somewhat grown up. They don't require as much of support of me. Uh, my company is doing well, so I'm not worried about financial situation. I kind of found myself that I'm looking for ways to give back more. And I think Alma Linux is one of those uh, things that I found for myself and I found extremely rewarding to give back, to make it not because it will pay off, but because it just makes sense, because it's a good thing for other people. Got it, got it. Yeah, so, so it sounds like you might be interested in doing more as well than on top of Amazon. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Okay. I definitely, like, as my time frees up, uh, I constantly look out what else to do. And quite often it's not, uh, like, I don't believe in entertainment as watching Netflix. Uh, there is just that much of book reading that I can do. So I do <laughs> yes. need to do something. I think I'm fairly good at organizing things. So that's the area where I'm looking. What else can I do? How else can I give back? Igor, that, nice, nice. that has been more than interesting. Uh, one last question from Marsa before we wrap this up. Where do you see Alma going? So for us, uh, the important thing is to create community ab around us. Uh, what does it mean community? Where do we see community? Uh, community is people using it is one thing, but also people building on top of it. So where we invested a lot from day one is uh, our build system. Uh, we started with what we had at Cloud Linux. We gave it to the community. We made it even better for the community. But the idea is that we want people to be able to do respins, package their own packages, uh, do their own forks of Alma Linux. And we want, it to we want to make sure that it's extremely simple to do. Container images, anything that people need, we want to be that community that makes it easy. Um, and yeah, that's, that's our goal. Make it easy to... Uh, mango and change alma linux in what you need and share it with the world excellent igor that has been more than fascinating thank you much for your time and we would love to have you back on the show at some stage Definitely. to discuss progress yes and of course world domination from a post center perspective <laughs> sounds good thanks a lot Thank you. Thank you for Take your questions. Enjoyed it. Bye. Bye. Now, Martin, these have been very interesting perspectives, don't you think? Yeah, that's, that's one word for it. The, 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 you could... <laughs> Fair enough, Martin. <laughs> if you dig a little bit deeper, there could be some other interpretation, but we're not going to... Martin, why don't you spill the beans in that case? What's your impression then? Well, I got the impression that um, uh, there's a certain amount of, of let's say, Healthy competition now between the two, um, don't you think? That's a very good. Or, uh, I mean, look, they, they had both had some fairly strong opinions about the others. Uh, yes, but you see, they were they were both coming from this original spirit. 
Oh, yes. Called yes. Community Enterprise Operating System. And they both have that kind of points. I'm already, Martin, I'm already, temp- I'm already mm. tempted to put out a wager. Okay. For that listener, for that listener that sends in the right. Well, that's. Winning- Sorry, I wasn't, I wasn't finished. It's, it's, it's competition <laughs> rather than the wagers. <laughs> okay, uh, let, let me put it this way. Let, oh, we can yeah, do both. Good yeah, yeah. Well, well, yes. Um, <laughs> Sorry, carry the, on. <laughs> let's do the first competition in in the in the in the, in the history of Linux and Laws. Yes. For that listener who hmm. sends in the name of the winning distribution in ten years' time, and we are talking twenty thirty two, by the end of this year. As in 2022, if schedule permits, I may have to edit this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so mental uh, mark. Um, yep. Anyway, who, who sends in the winning the winning hmm. distribution within a, within, a, within a certain period of time? Details maybe in the show notes. Yes, uh, that person will get a very valuable piece of initial as an original Linux in law swag. That stuff you cannot buy by the by by 2032. Hmm. Promise. No, no, we'll have many different versions by then. Exactly. Um, okay, so, so what is, yes. Uh, yes, what is your opinion on the winner and the episode, in fact? Well, the, well both, as I said, both guys had the points. Hmm. I, I reckon the jury will still be out there. Yeah. It's way, so. it, it's way too early to, I mean, and sorry, and when I say winning distribution, I mean, I mean of course, actual number of deployments, as hmm. in... Who, who, the number of people who actually yeah. use these distributions because at mm-hmm. the moment, and as I said, we're talking 2022 here, uh, the jury is still out on, on, on the actual kind of uh, yeah. accepted distribution, let's put it this way. Well, they and, both have different sponsors, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Different okay. sponsors, different, mm. different, yeah, different community aspects, focus, whatever you want to call it. Mm. I reckon the chances of the merging might be slim. Yeah, from a from a community perspective, it might Mm. it may make sense. Actually, no, I was thinking the same. Right, it seems a a shame to have to (laughs) so 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 similar projects with um, divided resources where they could probably benefit from combining them. But there we go. But you see that exactly that wouldn't be the first time that this was that this would happen in Floss history. Hmm. I mean, the the road is just littered with similar examples. FFmpeg versus libav comes to mm-hmm. mind. Yeah, I'm almost tempted to say Majora versus Arch, but that's probably pushing it and all the rest of it. Hmm. So it's it's just basically a matter of time will tell, I suppose. At the end of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, on a sort of more uh, general note. Uh, <clears throat> Clearly, Red Hat is still the the majority of enterprise distributions, but I think there has been a fair amount of uptake in uh, likes of Ubuntu and stuff on on, on uh, enterprise servers and stuff like that. That's from what I've seen. So, who knows? Who knows? It may all, um, yeah. You see, you bring up a very interesting aspect here, let's put it this way, because as we all know, Red Hat was bought by IBM now, mm. and IBM is slowly making their, their, their inroads into what used to be Red Hat. Details yeah. may or may not be in the show notes, a certain amount of staff was let go, I think in 2022 or something like this in Connecticut, or, or around that area anyway. 
there is a certain, let's put it this way, staff fluctuation, at least here in Central Europe. Mm. I wouldn't say the, the people are, are leaving in droves, but certainly people are judging their prospects, uh, are, are kind of weighing, weighing their, weighing their, weighing their, what's the word I'm looking for? Weighing the options, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right, it's, it's yeah, understandable. I, I mean, exactly. I mean, it's not staff bleeding. It's not as as bad as that. But certainly, people are are leaving Red Hat, or people are being let go from IBM. Mm. Mm. So I reckon it's uh, I mean, yeah. It then, is, it's, I, it's... But then IBM has a well known history of acquisitions being driven to the wall after they were bought. Software, variety, the, the the cloud assets of Verizon are probably the two examples that come to mind immediately. Mm. Ah, it's, it's uh, I mean, there, there are similar stories around the uh, Broadcom acquisition of VMware, right? So obviously, it hasn't happened yet, but um, yes, uh, with any acquisition comes a certain amount of, of cost reduction stuff like that. So. IBM has been around for what? Hundred years, something like this, maybe not. And Broadcom has been around for what, forty years, thirty years. Mm. And Martin, the the up the, the upswing or the upside is actually Broadcom is not as big as IBM. Um. <laughs> if well, you get my drift. <laughs> uh, no, I don't get it. But yeah, it's uh, not. It all will be revealed, I'm sure, in um, <laughs> it's, it's a few months' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Uh, I mean, it's it's you know, if you're a hipster with a beard and a, and a Mac, then do you want to work for IBM or do you want to work for Red Hat or for someone else, right? <laughs> Martin, I mean, it's still 2022. It's still that year of the IT job craze because headhunters are hunting down people left, right, and center. So if you're not happy, just leave. Full stop. And that goes for every for anybody out there in the in, in the industry, I reckon. Mm. I well, mean, it's yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it might be the case, but uh, that that there still is that demand. But uh, there's a large amount of of uh, yeah, upheaval coming in uh, uh, people's finances and and markets, and yeah, um, not yeah, to mention we... lack of gas and inflation stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not only since COVID, mm. there's one truth in the world of IT. It won't go away anytime soon. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Not COVID or IT. Uh, no. <laughs> both. No, IT. But both, yes. IBM. Yeah, IBM. Yeah, but, it's been around for a long time. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as betting on IBM anytime soon. No, mm. no jokes aside. The thing is, basically, this whole digitalization drive and all the rest of it i mean mm. just take a look just take a look at the vc scene although for the last half year things have cooled off a bit fair enough but the vc scene is still up and running there's still money to be made so so mm. so, so still people are still founding startups well yeah uh, ideally people wouldn't be founding startups for that reason but <laughs> um some do no, no. The, the point that they're making here is actually yeah. I don't, I don't people mean, still see chances of of building a company with mm -hmm. a special purpose in IT. Never mind existing mm -hmm. companies hiring hiring left, right, and center. Never mind the recession. Never mind the war. Never mind the rest. The craze is still oh, yeah, out there. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's clearly not not going away. All the um, uh, let's say say uh, digitalization of um, everything. <laughs> um, even your um, uh, your modern cars have to have a subscription if you want certain features enabled. So it's quite amusing, really. Uh, yeah. Elon, if you're listening, the email address is sponsored. Yes. Also to you. If you hmm. want to have your cars mentioned on the show, send us in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Or send us a Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ma- Martin, Martin is on Twitter. I'm not. So exactly tweet Martin. <laughs> After you've bought the company or not, that remains to be seen. <laughs> but that's a separate story. Uh, yeah. Okay, do we want yeah. to do the poxies? Oh, we can do, we can do, yes, yes. Yes. Do you have a pox, I wonder? Do I have a pox? Yes. I have, well, I have a, mm, a sort of pox. Um, there was a, um, a BBC series called The Capture. I don't know if I mentioned it as a pox before or not. No. Um, okay. The Capture. But, yeah. Like Boris um, Johnson is captured. Yeah. Um, hmm. By the Metropolitan uh, Police. Well, he's just resigned, really, isn't he? I don't think he's actually been captured, but there we go. Um, uh, yes, but anyway, so they brought out Series 2, and yeah, it's um, it's a nice try, but it's just a bit of a... <laughs> there's a what lot of holes it? in the... Uh, what in is the, it about, anyway? Uh, it's about... Um, uh, foreign countries or, or um, people of, of uh, malintent uh, modifying CCTV for their own gains and things like that. But okay, um, which is it's a true enough story, but obviously, well, true enough story. It's it's uh, clearly something that um, okay. can, can does happen. But in this case, they've gone a little bit silly by the first episode of, of series two. Um, they were showing CCTV and you know lights were coming on and doors were opening and stuff like that. It's like if you're going to doctor CCTV, then you're just going to have a still image of those things. That was just a very badly written piece, of, in my opinion, uh, okay. storyline. Yes, it looks good on the telly for people that don't think about it. But yeah, um, fair enough. So you weren't told that the executed. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, got it, got it, got it. How about yourself? Yes, my my pox would be a movie, funny enough. It's called The Guard. I don't know if that rings a bell. No. Funny enough, it's with Brenton Gleeson and a chap called Dodden Cheadle, Cheadle, whatever you want to call it, by the, I can't even remember, but he was quite famous on a, on a, another, on a TV show. Name escapes me by um, where he played actually a team leader of a management consulting team. Okay. That were and details within the show notes, of course. That was all up to kind of strange shenanigans and very funny because it kind of really took the piss at corporate slash slash business consulting. But this <laughs> but this movie is actually even more funny. Okay. Because Brenton Gleason plays a somewhat, let's put it this way, interesting copper on the west coast of Ireland. Ah. <laughs> uh, exactly. With certain reservations about big boys being sent from the big city, as in Dublin, mm-hmm. to the west coast to sort things out. And Mr. Uh, Mr. Cheadle plays an FBI agent 
being sent to said West Coast to investigate a crime. Needless to say, there's a certain clash of culture, let's put yeah. it this way. I'm sure, I'm sure. That is quite funny at the end of the day, and that's actually Excellent. the substance of the movie. Without giving too much away, the movie opens with a, with a car crash, a couple of drug dealers being killed, and then Brendan samples some of the goods <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> that come out of said crash, uh, and uh, the movie then takes it from there. No, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I mean, it's it's nowhere near like like kind of uh, death series movie stuff in terms of uh, two series kind of deep thoughts, uh, criminal uh, caper. But it's certainly worth a watch. And if you're into humor, you don't want to miss this. Let's put it this way. Excellent. Um, yeah, the first thing that came yes. to mind was part of Ted, but it's probably not quite human. And of course, my female side was quite impressed by the appearance of a certain Mark Strong. If that rings a bell, yes, uh, he's a British yeah. actor, and he's a is a for some members of the parish apparently he has a certain sex appeal. <laughs> Let's put it this way. <laughs> You know, oh yes, okay. I, yes, I remember him. Um, okay. Yeah, he he was in movies like, yeah, uh, the critic, for example, uh, Tar, to 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 um to quote a recent one, hmm. Deep State. That's a TV series. Deep State, yes. The, the, oh, yeah, that's the one I mentioned. I was thinking I saw him recently. Yes, and of course, Kingsman, Secret Service. Hmm. This is this was yeah. one of the kind of the bigger ones. Uh, yeah. So, if if you see him, you know him. No, no, I did. He, as a, uh, I did mention Deep State as a pox, I think, exactly. few weeks ago. And ex exactly, that's, exactly, that's, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I recognize him now. I've seen his picture. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, and as I said, he's he's one of the kind of. Um, there's a couple of them actually. There is uh, Jason Bratham. Bratham, am, am I correct on the on the last name? Uh, who are we talking about now? Uh, he did a couple of. Movies with Madonna's ex, Richie. Yes, and Jason. Some, I can't remember the second name, but well-known actor. And yeah. it's 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 kind of the Rat Pack of Britain: Mark Strong, Jason, and some other, and, and, and some other people. Hmm. All right, fair enough. Fair anyway, enough. details may or may not be in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah well, that sounds like a worth watching. And, and exactly, and I think with that, we've come to the end of another glorious episode, if I'm not mm. completely mistaken. Thank you for listening. This is the Linux In-Laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for their song Salute Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs> Thank you.